podcast. I want to give a big shout out to the fine people who are supporting the Patreon. Not only are they making this happen, which uh, certainly I feel very supported by that process, uh, but also they've started getting all sorts of great new things. I've been recording extra Patreon exclusives with the guests who've been on. Uh, we've had Jen Zart on talking about some astrological aspects. Uh, we've had Al Cummins talking about geomancy and pizza magic. And uh, we've had the Stacking Skulls crew on talking about their musical influences, both spiritually and ridiculously in their lives. And all of this stuff is only for people who are supporting the Patreon. So please consider it. Think about how many hours of this podcast you've listened to. And jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp. If you pledge $5 an episode, you will get access to all of that good stuff, but there are perks at many levels as well. Thanks for supporting it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am hanging out today with Siobhan, who is a card reader, who I, I know through the tarot community, um, but who I really wanted to sort of have on the podcast and talk about politics and identity and how we interact with each other and how we can try and have better, more humane, more open conversations about what's going on with each other and in the world right now. Because I feel like in a lot of the spiritual communities, uh, there are you know some awareness of these things, and then there are places where it, there's just no awareness. And so I, I thought that Siobhan uh, would be a great person to have on and talk about some of the stuff and see, see what comes of it. So, But for people who don't know who you are, who are you? <laughs> well, I am primarily a tarot reader and writer. I write most often at littleredtarot.com, which is a intersectional alternative space. And I also write at my website at radicaltarot.com. I spend a lot of time writing about the intersections that I live on and so that might look like writing about race writing about other marginalized groups writing about um, chronic illness or mental health issues and so I spent a lot of time writing about political topics even though you would we would never believe it I'm not really as political of a person <laughs> not usually but my writing does tend to be pretty authentic and pretty raw and, and talking about my experience in marginalized communities. So that's a lot of what I end up doing. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, Siobhan and I have been talking for uh, a while about being on the podcast and for a variety of reasons, it keeps getting sort of nudged into the future uh, until today. Um, but one of the things that sort of surfaced recently was sort of a conversation which we were both a part of around, uh, not to give away sort of personal information, but somebody was uh, called out for a behavior and, you know, and, and, you know, sort of Siobhan and I were sort of both the voices in that conversation that kind of migrated towards 
well, there is something to what they're saying. There's something that we could consider here, right? And, you know, and so I, I kind of reminded me that this was the conversation I wanted to have. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, we live in interesting times, right? Where right. the ways in which people um, have access to each other, the ways in which people treat each other, especially online, but also, you know, in lots of other places, you know, it's, it's often really unclear to me whether what's helpful and what's not right. Right. You know? And so, yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, what, cause your response was so wonderful. I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, if you could sort of share a little bit of what that idea was, you know? That's so funny. Yeah. You know, the first thing that pops up when you talked about that was a post I wrote actually a very similar time of year, maybe two years ago. And it was in response to Kellyanne Maddox's Terror So White discussion. I don't know if you saw any of that, but the dialogue came up around how many decks there are that have representation, how many diverse decks that there are. And so it was an interesting time because it was the first time I had ever heard anyone sort of call out um, this notion of, the tower space being predominantly white, predominantly occupied by a certain demographic. And I want to say I had mentioned it briefly um, in a tower chat, and then it came up later again and again, but the dialogue was pretty interesting and fruitful at the time. And it was funny because uh, the piece that I wrote in response um, actually was contrary to the original call out. (laughs) So whereas the assertion was, there aren't very many um, decks with people of color. I wrote, well, actually, there could be more, way more at the time. It was two years ago, but they do exist. And to reference them as if they don't is erasure. And I remember at the time um, having a really sweet conversation with Kellyanne where she realized um, how many different options were available that actually she hadn't seen yet. And it was... um, really amazing to get closer to her and to dialogue in that way. And and it went really well. And so at the time I didn't have a concept of a call in versus a call out. And you'll hear those terms uh, more commonly in feminist spaces, people talking about drawing attention to a behavior or activity that they saw that could be problematic in a way that may be perceived as shameful versus is an invitation to dialogue, to go deeper and to learn something. And so I didn't even have a concept of that at the time. I just responded with pure emotion. It was a very uh, emotional summer. I want to say there were a lot of acts of violence that had just happened in the news, perhaps the first of the series that kicked off all the, I know it's hard to remember a time when it wasn't (laughs) all the time. it It was less visible then. And so it was the first instance. And so, yeah, this conversation has just gotten bigger and deeper in spiritual community and also in other communities. And now people who have never encountered any sort of idea about their own privilege or about the experiences of marginalized groups are now encountering these experiences. And not everybody who calls people out necessarily has the space to do so in a way that is kind or compassionate and not everybody who is called out or in 
um, necessarily knows that there's any information to glean from it. And so it's so interesting to watch these conversations happen. <laughs> it's a very uh, primordial time <laughs> for these discussions. It's very new to many people. And uh, it's worth it and it's exciting, but there's also issues where it can be tender, times mm-hmm. when it can be tender. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's challenging on many levels, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that for people in all of the positions to have openness to where other people are coming from mm-hmm. and, and openness to sort of um, being present and sort of curious about the process, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really tough and and certainly at times not possible or not even appropriate, but mm-hmm. it's one of the things that, that I, I dug about your, your, uh, you know, your response in that conversation was you really were like, huh, well, that's really interesting. Okay. Where, where are you coming from? What is that about? What does that mean? You know, right. there was a curiosity to it. Right. Right. And I think that it's, it's such a powerful place to be, right? Like curiosity and openness are so mm-hmm. profound when we can find our way to those positions. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's certainly not easy, right? Or, or, you know, and definitely not always possible or appropriate. Right. It's the edge of the, it's the edge of the cliff. Right. <laughs> it's that full space. And to yeah. really just, I remember even in that conversation, the topic we were talking about was so unfamiliar to me in a way. I, I, I said to myself, it had never occurred to me to be mindful of this thing that even you're bringing up. Now I can know moving forward to think about this marginalized group, which I had not considered when I create and when I collaborate and when I support and to really be humble in that moment and to notice my own privilege, having not had to think about it um, and, and owning that to a lot of uh there's a lot of assumptions made about who has privilege to check <laughs> and there's so many more people than you. You would imagine so many more kinds. I've been really exploring the privilege of someone who, I mean, if a person, if you're photogenic, if you're pretty, if you're thin, if you're, you, you have money, there's so many different ways to look at it. It's so much deeper than just, well, there's a binary and, and, and everyone on this end is, victimized and everyone on this other end is victimized and not everybody on both sides of it have that awareness and so once you realize (laughs) that fact it it behooves you to be curious (laughs) because there's so much to learn there's Mm -hmm. so many different angles to really realize um where you have been blessed and where you continue to not be blessed based on things that are circumstances perhaps and uh it's very, it's very hard at times, but it can also be interesting if a person has the space, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember a couple of years ago now, I did this really long, like, 100 or 150 question survey that sort of uh, evaluated your privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, I've seen some shorter ones since then, and I'm always kind of like, when I look at them, I'm like, ah, it's like, it, it's, it makes some sense, but, but this one was, was so in depth. Right. And I remember like going through and, and sort of like answering the questions and, 
and seeing 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 things that you know uh you know clearly clearly highlighted my privileges you know mm-hmm. for me like oh yeah that's totally me i totally have i have access to that thing you know right right i i went to university right like right. I, I did this i did that i did other things and then all these other things that uh that i never even some i mean many of which i was totally aware of but some of which i didn't even really uh consider part of the conversation right right you know, and things that I didn't have that I was like, hmm, interesting. Right. Okay. And then I started to think about the ways in which, you know, certain kinds of situations around family structures and, and other things, you know, the historical family structures. Right. You know, whether your families stay together or don't stay together. Right. How those, like, so many layers of conversation right. can impact these experiences, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's where that curiosity comes in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did this? How did this shape me or shape somebody else? How do these forces exist in our culture, right? Right. Why is one structure prioritized over another? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, as consciousness deepens and as awareness deepens, how do I transform or transmute all of the pain that I'm now aware of, <laughs> my own, right. and also yeah. society? Because it's a lot, and it seems overwhelming at times when you really open up to that awareness and which is why some people will choose unconsciously or consciously not to um not to be aware of it Mm -hmm. well that brings us to uh topic we were chatting a little bit about before the call which is the spiritual bypassing piece right Mm. you know when when do we suddenly try and use um you know, uh, a spiritual tool to skip our pain or skip our privilege or skip something else, you know, instead of, instead of actually digging into it, you know, when do we avoid that shadow work? Right. Instead of like, instead of honoring the wholeness of our experience and dealing with it all. Right. What kind of things come from that? Right. Right. Is it, At that moment of realization, when you open to how much is really happening, how many different layers, first of all, if you're still in it, there's that space of, you know, oh gosh, how how do I hold this for myself? And if you aren't in it, if you have traversed and and if you have some kind of mobility, and this is more common as we interact um, across the streams of privilege, you know, I have access to all kinds of things through people who have access, even though I don't have the access. And now there's this opportunity for guilt, um, the sense of unworthiness, or even thinking about, oh my gosh, my ancestors, they they had this thing, they did this thing, and now I feel this sense of guilt over that. And so there's an opportunity or, or a more accurate to say a tendency with spiritual practice to say, okay, being spiritual, having arrived, being enlightened, that means I don't get to feel those things anymore. <laughs> I get to, I get to be somewhere other than those things because it's not holy to feel guilty, unworthy, um, you know, anger, hostility. It's not holy to feel afraid of uh, things that are different than me. These things are not spiritual things. And so Mm -hmm. we uh, hear a lot of talk about quote, letting, letting it go. I mean, it's so popular to talk about letting it go. This is a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Tell, Tell me all about it. If you read my stuff, you'll hear me going on about it all the time because it's like, 
we want to let the things go that are the darkest things that are, they keep returning because they're very deeply embedded in, in our ancestral story or our own story, or maybe just because it's a part of us and we haven't integrated it, we reject it. And so there it is again. And so the notion that we can continuously keep trying to let something go rather than just sit with it, you know, which is awful and terrible and we often don't want to do it, but Sometimes when we are able to just sit with it without the judgment call, what this means, what this means about who I am, then it has less of a pull, you know, even when it shows up, but it's counterintuitive. So instead of doing that, everybody, you know, it's very popular in the spiritual community to want to let go. We're going to let go every full moon. We're going to let go. (laughs) It's like, all right, that's, we can keep it up, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that there, comes a point you know um it's fine i i have this uh body of work that i created called the letting go work right um, <laughs> so uh but but the the focus of the work is um is actually to go and sit down with your shadow right right it's not it's not this process of like you know and then i'm going to go into the the spiritual bath and shower all this stuff off me and it'll go down the drain it's gone forever right, right. it's a process of building conscious communication with the shadow stuff right and then sustaining that on the regular so right. that you know you're checking in with that and so your shadow has a chance to say hey you're ignoring this crap over here hey what right. about this hey this is you know you're being inauthentic or you're denying something or whatever right, right. or you're really mad you gotta let it out dude because if we can talk to that stuff and sit with it and be present with it and engage with it, then we have a whole different relationship to it, right? But right. like Carl Jung did not say when we get to the, the process of individuation that our shadow is gone. Right, poof. says that we're living in relationship with it then, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's like if a person comes from a place where they're not wanting to do that work, that very needed work of of holding space for this thing, then there's no way they would be able to when they actually encounter that shadow out in the world. So this person who is marginalized in ways they can't understand, the person who doesn't have the privilege they have, if that person calls out to them in the same way that their shadow calls out to them, um, why would they have a different reaction? They would do the same thing. They would encourage that person to let it go. They would encourage that person to speak in terms of love and light and always gravitate toward and pay attention to love and light. And they would say, ignore the things that don't meet or match that paradigm the same way they say to themselves. And so I always, there's a little part of me that kind of dies (laughs) when I hear someone say, turn, you know, turn your attention entirely away from this thing, which is so much a part of you and so much your struggle and that you're feeling because it's like, People need that space for themselves before they can have and hold space for other people. Um, They're very much linked. And the notion that um, we can get away is somewhat contrary to the notion that we're all part of one great big thing, which is underneath a lot of spiritual practices anyway. Right. Well, there's definitely that. Yeah, it's one of the best pieces of advice I got when I started working as a reader. was a good friend of mine basically was like, so dude, Make sure you deal with all your crap. Keep dealing with it. Deal with it all. Stay clean. You know, stay clear about it. Stay, you know, work to stay free of it. 
because otherwise you're going to sit down with somebody and try and work and their pain is going to trigger your pain. Right. And then it's going to go all sorts of sideways, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. A business is amazing for really shining the light on every crevice that you thought (laughs) that you were done with. Right. Oh, what about this? What about this ear? (laughs) What about this thing that isn't finished? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's a there's a a lot more compassion that could stand to be uh, doled out in all mm-hmm. directions, right? Inwardly as well, you know, all of it mm-hmm. in all the directions. Yeah. So, what what I, I'm going to put you on the spot here, okay? So forgive me. You can, <laughs> you can opt out if you need to, but like. What what do you, what would you hope somebody would do if they were if they run into something new that they weren't aware of would be kind of a problematic thing you know whether it's like whatever its focus is gender or race or any number of, of sort of different things but like what, what would you hope that people would, how they would react? Oh man, it's tricky. And I say that because the answer would depend in a large part on who that person was. And here's what I mean. There's a spectrum. If a person had an abundance of energy and awareness and privilege and time, it would be really nice if we could have that curiosity response like, oh, why is this coming up? You know, is there something to learn here? Is there something I don't know? Is there, you know, I acknowledge that this has nothing to do with me because anything anyone ever says generally has nothing to do with anyone because they're all dealing with their projections. But at the same time, is there something I could learn if they have that space? But the honest to God truth is that some people, whatever their sense of abundance or privilege or access or whatever they have, they may not have the space. And a second best thing in that scenario would be if they could actually see that they don't have the space. So that looks like, wow, um, I don't know what to do with this, but I know at least that I'm feeling a uh, defensive response that I want to prove something. And so maybe I'll just pause Mm. and that's it. Just a pause where they can see and be with the fact that that's what they have the space for. They have the space for maybe a pause and even getting to the point of pause is huge, you know, cause the natural thing to do is just react, right. react, save or be right or reassure whatever the deal is. And um, it would be amazing to even have the choice in a moment. And so having the choices coming from working on things before you're even in the situation, <laughs> <laughs> so it's really hard to say, oh man, curiosity, um, willing to be open to possibly having missed something, possibly not knowing something, possibly being wrong. Um, and it depends on the person and if they have space. I actually wrote an entire blog post about that very thing you just asked. <laughs> and Perfect. it actually- I'll, I'll link in the show notes. It was the most viewed blog post I ever wrote. And I wrote it that summer that we were just talking about right before that, that whole discussion, because it was just so painful to see so much death and uh, to be reminded that no matter how much you progress, or at least in my instance, how much I had progressed and how much better I felt uh, within that there are still these dark things that are my reality, that may be my reality. 
um, without. And so in there, it really encourages people to have a dialogue with what they need really first, because if they don't know, they can't, they can't offer anything. Um, they have to come first and they have to also um, acknowledge a reality in which they may be coming first many places without any effort on their part. They may be central, they may be primary, they may be the first thought for, you know, entire nations. <laughs> and so it's like, there's the thought for, do I have the space for the person who, unlike me, doesn't come first in, mm-hmm. my, in my nation, in my society, and, and being honest about that? Because some people have a culture that is ingrained, um, it's very fragile, and they actually may not know all that they could be capable of. They actually may not have been invited to step into their fullness just yet. And so the knee-jerk reaction, which is natural and human, it might be much smaller than they're capable of being. And so it can be exciting to think about interaction with a person where they actually realize more their resilience. And they say, oh, I've, I've felt defensive and offended every time this has ever happened in my whole life. And maybe I have room for more reactions, you know. Maybe I have room for more than just my central and my primary-ness. Maybe based on that solid self-care, you know, first step, I have more resilience than I thought. More capacity to notice when I'm expecting someone else to be resilient in my stead. And maybe perhaps a habit I have of doing that all the time. (laughs) You know. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also think that um, that pause is such a great notion, you know, because I think that think that we don't always even understand what we might do or how we might do it, or you know what what could be possible, mm-hmm. or, or what might shift to make things possible over time. You know, mm-hmm. like one of the things you know for me is, uh, you know, I, I was aware for for a while that this podcast was inaccessible to a bunch of people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because they are unable to, to listen, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and it took me a while, like maybe six months of like pondering that and then looking at what it would cost me to provide transcriptions right. and then looking at my wallet and being like, I can't do that. Right. And then thinking about it and looking at options. And, and then, you know, it wasn't until one day, and I, I was aware of Patreon the whole time, you know, which right. is like this sort of people pay per episode to support stuff. Right. Um, I was aware of it the whole time, but I, I don't even remember what happened, but somebody talked about it in a certain way. And I was like, I could use Patreon to make that happen, you know? Right. And then that took a little bit of time, you know? And then now every episode comes out with transcriptions. That's cool. You know? Which is, which is exciting, right? Right. But like, if if I had gotten stuck at I can't do this, I mean I, I was stuck at I can't do anything about this today, and left it at that, then it wouldn't be where it is now, you know. And and you know that's that's one of those things that can come from the pause, right? Right. It can come from like you know you know uh, it's just like putting putting a little sign up on the wall that says it's a thing I'd like to do at some point somehow. I'd like to right. solve this issue, right? Right. And then. 
And then hopefully time and circumstance shift in a way that allows it to be resolved, you know, or for right. us to do something different. And maybe it doesn't, you know what I mean? Because there, there are still times where offering stuff like that is, is beyond the means of, of whatever it is that I'm doing, you know? Right. Some of the classes I run are fairly small, and so it's, it's not super possible. But, you know, but, it, it, but we can set our intentions and we can ponder these things and they can sort of open us up to other possibilities, right? Right, right. Yeah. That's a powerful example. Mm-hmm. That's a really powerful example, especially the notion of even if I can't do this thing right the second, I have space to think about it. Yeah. You know, because some people, they file it away under, I can't do that, the end. And then they never have to think about it again. Like they're, they're absolved. And this is that bypass thing coming up. It's like, I couldn't in this one instance implement it. So... I won't worry about it. But when there's a, a willingness to stay with it, to stay with this other reality that isn't yours in that perfect example that you just gave, more is possible um, eventually. Yeah. And also, you know, I think that it's important to understand that um, perfect isn't the goal, mm. right? I mean, mm. Perfect would be lovely if it existed anywhere, right? You're right. But, like, but when we're working on these things, perfect can't be the goal, you know, because at least for me, perfect equals immobilization, right? right. Perfect equals this space where I, I just can't continue because, it, you know, because I can't get there, right? You know, I mean, right. there's nothing about my life that allows me enough time and space to make anything perfectly. Right. So, so, I, sat, so I pursue sort of just working on stuff right and right. i think that and i think that that's part of the ongoing sort of dialogue of curiosity and openness too right like right. recognizing i will do my best or what i perceive to be my best now and mm-hmm. then we'll see what happens and then i will engage with what happens afterwards and i will adjust and improve or change or whatever if i have space for that right and continue that that process right like it's not you know, this sort of unfolding of this awareness of privilege in, in North America, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I've been watching it flow for a while now, and it's not done. It's not going to be done soon. Right. It's going to continue, right? <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's not even because, not like, it would be tempting to be like, well, if everybody just accepted it or was on board or whatever. But I'm like, well, no, because it's also a process of undoing, right? Right, and when you start moving stuff, you start having space to see other things. Right, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't move anything because you know, because we'll find the dust bunnies under the couch or you know whatever. Right. Right? It's like we we should move those things, and then we should move other things, and then we should see what's beyond that. Right, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and the the notion, the notion of doing our best is interesting also when we consider that nothing, there may not be an occurrence in our lives that actually calls on us to consider perspectives outside of our own. And that's where the notion of resilience can come in for the person who is used to staying in their own perspective. They are only so large. There is only so much that is possible, which is why tarot can be useful um, when you come together with people over tarot there's another perspective that's introduced. We do this in interpersonal relationships of all kinds, sure. And 
the person who doesn't have that playback or the person who is isolated from cultures that they've never met. They, they're never going to come across a person with this worldview. Their concept of their best might be limited. Uh, it may not even reflect the reality for them. And so it's exciting to think about people being expanded and their notion of what's possible being expanded as a result of all these dust bunnies that we keep finding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I grew up, I grew up in a suburb of Toronto and, you know, when I went to high school, I think that, you know, in a school that probably had like a thousand students, there might've been a handful of people of color, you know, right. like, you know, one, one table at the lunchroom was like people of color and that was it, you know? Right. And, and that was indicative of the whole town. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now, you know, and as we, as we open to that stuff though, and as we open to other cultures, we can, you know, expand more and figure things out differently. Right. And right. I think that it's easy to sort of look around in, you know, I, I always say, cause I live right in downtown Toronto now, right? Like one block from, from the gay village and, you know, in, in one of the most sort of diverse neighborhoods around kind of right. thing. And, you know, it's easy to sort of, think that this is also it right you know and when i travel to other places i'm like oh no i live in a little pocket that is so different than everywhere else right Right. and you know and and i mean not everywhere else but like many other places in this in a a kind of the counterforce to that sort of living in the suburbs experience you know and i live the opposite um but but both of them create their own limiting tunnels right Mm mm-hmm you know, I think it's I think it's it's really interesting to sort of try and try and understand what we're not living wherever we're living, right? However we're living that and sort of see what other people are actually up to. Right. Know? Yeah. Right. And you really honor our blinders. It's mm. I only in the last ten years have I really appreciated the fact that I belong to the global majority. <laughs> it's like, it's been the case for longer than that, but only in the last five to seven years really has that sat with me and I had to go and seek out communities where they would discuss those things for it to really become a part of my awareness. So right. it's not even necessarily an appearance grant you access into different perspectives. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, a dialogue that you keep having and keep needing to be willing to have in order to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's that willingness to have it is such a, an important thing. Right. And, and from my perspective, for me personally, a willingness to seek it out, you know, right. to look for it and look for people who have the space to have that dialogue with me. Right. Because right. You know, you want to be mindful that you're not sort of expecting somebody right. else to educate you or to, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a thing that that you should ask permission about, right? Right. And you know, because otherwise, we don't want to expect that I'm going to run to this person and be like, "So tell me all about this this disability yeah. you've gotten. This how does that yeah. happen, right? Yeah. Tell me all about your like, you know, your the color of your skin and how that impacts your life, right. your culture, or whatever." You know, because right. those things are, that's problematic too, right? But like, 
looking for those permissions and then being really, really um, super willing to sort of, you know, if you're going to ask, then listen, right? Right. Like really listen, you know? Right. Um, as we're recording this in September, I have a tarot deck coming out through the Wellen, which is uh, the Orisha tarot deck, right? Which is uh, a deck that sort of explores the overlap of my uh, involvement with traditional Afro-Cuban Orisha practices right. and my initiation into them. And my experiences, you know, for all these years playing with tarot and working with tarot. And one of the things that I did when I started was I sat down with a friend of mine who is uh, an activist and a person of color. And I showed them a bunch of the drawings that I was working on. And I was like, what do you think? What do you feel? How does this hit you, right? And um, not because I feel that they can speak for everybody, but because I felt like I needed somebody to talk to when they were a person who was, you know, an artist as well as, you know, a spiritual person and so on. And, uh, you know, so we talked about it a bunch and and they, they liked what I was up to. And then when I got to the end of the deck, I was like, you know, I'd made some artistic choices. Uh, I depicted a lot of people of color in the deck and people of different bodies and, you know, all these kinds of things. And I wanted to sit down and like, just sort of say like, you know, do you, do you have thoughts and feelings about what was going on? You know? And, and so I sat down with the same person and with somebody else and I showed them the artwork again. And, you know, and there were, there were specifically a couple of choices that I made, which affected about a dozen of the cards. Right. And and so, and, and I didn't bring up anything. I just sat down and showed them and whatever. And the, the both people were, thought it was great. They really liked what I'd been doing. They felt like they felt like it was good representation of, you know, like one of them said, "I feel like I see my uncle in this card, and I feel like I see this person in this card. I, I really like it." And I was like, "That's great," because I was totally willing to redo a bunch of these cards, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we it, we need to be if we're going to enter into this, we need to consider that we might need to redo stuff and it might be inconvenient or it might be a burden. Right. Right. You know, and also again, you know, in terms of perfect, this is two people's opinion, right? Right. Like this is not everybody. And I am sure inevitably, you know, because that's how the world is. People will have issue. Some people will have issue or maybe not, but like, but I don't expect that it's perfect, you know, but I also couldn't pull the world, you know, and, and, you know, so we need to find our way to engage this stuff and find our way to keep moving forward and making things happen, you know? So that's interesting. That's interesting. And, and it's interesting because it's a very popular notion in the public eye. Now the African tradition is very, very in the center of everybody's eye and many people are new to it. And so there are people that will see it, they won't know anything about you. And then they'll say, ah, it's that, it's that how popular it is. And, and they'll jump to that conclusion. And then there are some that are traditionalists and they'll have their own reasons why. And it's interesting because the diaspora is so huge and Mm -hmm. people will have all different perspectives. And it's um, really hard to even try and get one consensus um, about what is right, what feels good. And 
I recently had an incident where I was taking a course and I asked about using some kind of Buddhist symbolism. I've been cultivating a practice of my own. And I said, you know, I don't know how I feel about this using the symbol. Um, does anyone practice? Does anyone belong? Um, does anyone come from this culture? How do you all feel? And I want to say there were many people who said, oh, it's probably fine. Or, or some that said, I also thought it was really funny. They say, well, it's not the same when people of color do this thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting too. Like as if it's almost like a free pass moment. And I was like, that doesn't really resonate with me. Um, especially when you think about, if you think about the question, you know, do I belong to a culture that has benefited from the oppression of this other culture, you know, whose symbolism that I'm engaging? If I were to say that as an American, and I were to think about uh, Buddhist cultures that have been affected by American policy, the answer to that would be yes, regardless of my skin color, because I'm here. And um, I had to really decide for myself what felt appropriate to me, even with the endorsement of people in the mm. culture, um, because there is this moment of what is the what is the history? How have I benefited? You know, and there's an opportunity. I said to myself when I wanted to use the symbol, it's okay because I supported um, I supported Buddhists when I bought this, and I support them when I do this other thing, and I uplift this people in this way and that and then. There's a capitalist notion that I now own this symbol and I can do what I want with it because I engage it. And, and in my case, because I engage it personally, because I have a practice and I've been cultivating. It's like, this is my culture. You know, mm -hmm. I do it too. And it was tricky for me to sit with the concept of even owning a symbol mm -hmm. is somewhat capitalist and colonialist in nature um, to have the rights uh, to use it. And this is new for me to think about this, honestly. Um, while I've thought about cultural appropriation before, I engaged it in depth this summer through that course that I was taking. And that was interesting to have that moment because I had always thought as long as I am engaging this culture, supporting this culture and uplifting this culture, then it's fair game. The symbols are fair game. But uh, I no longer necessarily believe that. It, it's you, totally case by case. the symbol? Say, did I Do use it? Did you use the symbol? No. No? I didn't. And I, I said to the people that I was asking, I said, if I ever use images of my practice or Buddhist symbols that I engage, it will have the level of awareness in it that I've now garnered. It won't be uh, an afterthought. It won't be like, oh, I just use this symbol. And then afterwards I think about it. It will be like, this is what I intend. I stand confident in this. And, and it will involve the foresight needed, just like you were talking about sitting down with people and saying, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? And, yeah. and what about, and asking myself questions like, what about this project, this representation or this use of this symbol amplifies further the voices of the people who have been disadvantaged uh, in accordance with or in relationship to members, cultures that I belong to and things like that. It won't be separate from that. I will be mm -hmm. having that awareness if I do use the symbol ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in making this deck, I certainly um, talked to my elders. You know, I sat down and showed my elder all the work and, uh, you know, to make sure that they were happy with it and comfortable with it, you know, and, you know, and, and again, recognizing that they don't speak for everybody, you know, like right. it's, you know, 
I mean, right. and, and ultimately, from my point of view, when it comes to this particular project, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I would have used the word Lakumi as the title of the tarot, but it's already taken by another deck. Um, but like, it, it represents a very specific set of experiences, which are mine and my story and my journey and my right. understandings and my lineage, you know, and it, it doesn't represent, and, and certainly it doesn't pretend to represent all of these diasporic traditions or any of those things because it's impossible because they, they are related, but they are not the same. And, you know, and and I'm also, I'm not a, I'm not a Cuban and I'm not a, you know, Yoruban or, you know, Brazilian or other things, you know, not a person of color, not any of those things. Mm -hmm. And those people and the way in which those traditions are practiced in different communities are always going to be different. Right. And, you know, and, and, that's the end of the conversation, right? You know, and, and, and the problem for me, the, the problem arises where people don't understand those, those implications, right? You know, like you were talking about, you know, well, I can just, I'm a Buddhist. Look at me. I, like, I, right. you know, I've got a, I've got a brass Buddha statue. I'm good. Right. Like, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. There's a lot of uh, harm can be done in the assumption that because a, a thing was purchased, uh, you own the rights to the culture um, mm-hmm. and you own the right to use that symbol however you want just because you own it. And that's, that's the capitalist way. I bought that. Yeah. It's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And uh, there's not a thought process about where did this fabric come from? What traditional weave is this? What are the conditions in the nation where they do this weave? And are they in a situation where their culture is being eradicated. Um, I just heard about that recently. I can't remember the major design company that stole this this uh, technique from a region. And then a, another company came, went to that nation and amplified the voices there and created a school so that they could continue teaching um, their, their cultural work. And there's an opportunity for more things like that to happen, the uplifting of voices that are fading away because of systemic oppression, but only if people get beyond their feeling of ownership of something and their feeling of glory about something. And, and it's, uh, it's really easy to lose track of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a thing, you know, like we, we live in capitalism is such a thing, right? I mean, says the person who runs a store, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, I was having this conversation with um, somebody recently about uh, being anti-capitalist, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're talking about somebody else who was running a business who was anti-capitalist and, and, and was running into all these challenges and problems for the people that they had that they were dealing with and stuff. And, and, I'm like, I don't think I'm anti-capitalist per se. I mean, I think that there, I think that there are better ideas for sure, but I'm definitely anti-exploitation, you know? And for me, like capitalism, when we talk about capitalism, I feel lost and daunted by the immensity of it. You know, I mean, like, like what, what can, what am I going to do about this? Like, you know, it's just, it just hits a thing where I just sort of get stuck and I'm like, but I definitely, 
work to in my interactions be anti-exploitive you know right and seeking to you know build and prioritize the independent people independent deck makers that we're supporting you know seeking to ask the questions about so i'm buying this this thing where did it come from Wait, how right. is it made right you know is is this is this palo santo sustainably harvested right or is this like you're in there with a chainsaw cutting them down you know right um you know and and seeking that it adds a layer of work um but i think it also beyond just being like good practice i think it also adds a layer of power to stuff as well you know when we're talking about spiritual things you know when we when we know that there's a a, a a chain of connection that has consideration for the earth and people and spirit and so on. Um, I feel like there's a, a flow through there that makes things better, you know? Right. Yeah. If the opportunity is taken and I believe that chain is there, even if we don't take the opportunity and then what are we connecting ourselves to? Mm-hmm. Is the question. Well, for sure. Right. You know, when, when we don't investigate it, um, what are the conditions where they mine this? What does the earth look like as a result of this mining? What happens, you know, when this degrades, this thing I use, this single use thing? And what one of the things that really flabbergasted me <laughs> when I became more active online in online community, online spiritual community, was the notion that spiritual practices are concerned with nature and concerned with the preservation of nature. And um, I'm still feeling like if I were to divulge the level at which I'm thinking about things when it comes to sustainability, I mean, I would be that crazy person. Like, and I mean that in the sense that I would be the outlier in, in the way that I often am. Um, not to mean, not to say that, um, not to put a judgment call on the person who thinks differently or the person who is othered because of their mental health status, because again, I'm coming from that place too. But the person who is othered like, ah, oh, this is just too weird. This is just too hard. This is just, but at the same time, we're in a time where it's so important that really everybody kind of gets on the same page about that I, or else. I to get those people though, right? I'm like, this is a person who, who's way more passionate about this than I have the capacity to do. Right. So I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay them for their, for their passion, for their intensity, for, for being out there, you know, right. like, you know, cause there are these people where, you know, I, I have the good fortune to meet them and I'm just like, yes, you're, you're, you're the, you're the good chain. I want to support this, this, this you know, right. and other people I'm just like, Hmm, I'm not sure. We'll see. You know, right. you know, like, uh, yeah, like, I mean, cause lots of people, I, I run into lots of people doing business and lots of people importing stuff from wherever. And I'm always just like, Hmm, you right. know, and, right. uh, and then there's people who are doing great stuff, you know, like, you know, like I, I some of my suppliers, they know exactly where their crystals are coming from because they're paying the, the people directly to mine them, you know, right. and they go down and, you know, and give those people money and, and support their families and connect with them and connect with sustainability of these things because they want them to keep coming. Right. 
Right. You know, and, and they want these people who have these abilities to keep doing it and to be supported, you know. Right. And and I think that that's amazing when that when I see that, you know. Right. So, yeah. I continue to be surprised how many people own shops, metaphysical shops that look at me sideways when I say, "Do you support ethical mining? Um are these ethically mined?" And I just get blank faces. <laughs> They're like, what does that even mean? What are you even talking about? Oh, well, probably, you know, and it's like, this isn't an insane notion. In a spiritual yeah. community, it's it's not uh, this bizarre notion, but it is. <laughs> it is a lot of places. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because there's so many, uh, you know, stuff. I mean, certainly 100% of our stuff is not, it's not clear where a bunch of it comes from, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many disruptions in these, in the points of connection, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know. But I think it's important to be mindful of it to try and work on that, right? Because mm-hmm. otherwise, we'll never move further in that direction, you know. So, right. Yeah. Right. I look at my uh, collection. <laughs> my collection. I've I've amassed at this point of gems and minerals and my awareness of the even the concept of ethical mining started really when I got more active in Little Red Tower community. Um, She's been very vocal, Beth, the owner, about ethical mining. And through her, I learned, oh, I really have to look out for this because you learn in little pieces, the gems, Mm -hmm. it's the food, where's the food coming from, this plastic, what's going to happen to it when I'm done with it. You obviously, you don't, and you don't become aware of it all at once, or at least hopefully not. You work piece by piece. And then to really think about what am I going to do with this stuff now that I already have it? What is the most powerful purpose that I could put this to now that I do already own it? And and really staying curious about that rather than shutting down and rather than going into a guilt that doesn't, uh, that doesn't serve. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, I think that's a good spot to to stop it and say, if you're curious about Siobhan, where <laughs> where do they come and find you? <laughs> I'm at radicaltarot.com. Nice. And uh, everything is there. I'm also everywhere else, and they can find my Instagram. My Twitter is actually the most um, political place I am, ironically. That's the place that I'm most vocal when it comes to how I feel. I uh, am on Facebook, but it's only a matter of time before I think I, I part ways with them. And my newsletter is definitely the safest way to make sure you hear about anything that I'm putting forth um, because awesome. I announce everything there. Nice. Well, thank you so much for making some time and uh, coming on the podcast today. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I'm hoping that people will have their curiosity piqued by this episode and that it might lead to some great conversations in your life and with people around you. Uh, So, you know, one of the ways in which I would love it if you are moved to, to further that is to hit the share button and put it out there so that other people can uh, be called into these conversations. And, you know, maybe if it's something that you're inspired about, if you're really enjoying the podcast, please head on over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a a rating or a review. 
because those things really promote the availability and the access. You know, same with hitting like on social media. You know, it's very hard to get uh, space and attention these days on those platforms. And all of those little things certainly uh, benefit the podcast and benefit sharing the information that we're putting out here. So thanks again for listening. And uh, I will talk to you soon.